Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Can none of y'all mirror me back? You hear me rap? It's like Hand G rapping his prime. I'm young H.O. Raps great for dead. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Miami Nice, the show that gets up close and personal and decides if we're going to throw our entire lives away to run off with Gong Lee. I am one half of the show, Mr. Blake Howard. Thank you so much for listening. My amazing, inspirational, working film critic co-host is the lovely Katie Walsh. Katie Thank you for coming back again um, and indulging us with your amazing opinions and haikus about Colin Farrell's moustache. I will always, I will always be here to do that, to provide that. Now, just this is again uh, using sort of the compass for the good parts of film Twitter and not the ugly parts that want to make us kill ourselves on a daily basis. For anyone is there, um, I found <laughs> our latest guest. Uh, I obviously. I don't know if I've got like a radar for it or maybe I've like pressed a notification that you can do. But when anyone tweets about Michael Mann or Heat, um, of course I'm going to see it. And if it's good stuff, sometimes it takes me longer than the bad stuff because the bad stuff comes in my DMs and texts from friends. Like, have you seen this idiot? And I, and I have to kind of like that stuff comes to me. However, our guest today, um, I hadn't been aware of his work yet at, great publications like Pace and Rodrigo.com and Vulture. But I did start seeing these absolutely incredibly insightful and thoughtful posts about heat on a regular basis that were getting tons of engagement with a lot of the folk who I know love this show. And I was just looking at this person going over and over again. I'm like, that is a person that in the old one heat minute parlance, like I would have loved to have that person on the roster, but the show kind of only exists in very special 
sometimes seldom returning opportunities, but he was such a manhead that I was like, no, this person needs to come onto this show onto Miami. Nice to talk to Katie and I about Michael Mann, about what keeps him going back. Because I found just as we find in the characters and just as Katie and I find in ourselves, a very obsessive kindred spirit. So ladies and gentlemen, it is without further ado, I'll welcome our new guest to the show on Miami Nice, Isaac Feldberg. Isaac, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Well, thank you for having me and for that incredible introduction. That's, uh, that's very overly kind of you. I'm, I'm grateful to be here and of course in awe of both you and Katie's work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and, and and your man obsession. I think that, you know, there's a commonality here. Uh, you can spot the good ones uh, using heat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, heat it's, tweets it's, are your bat signal. I know. Yes. I know. It's, it's like, it's like, literally, it's like, I'll be sitting yeah. in the lounge room and my head freaks up. Something okay? I think someone's tweeting about heat and it might be good. I need to go and read <laughs> yeah. this person's profile. What are they doing? No, I, it's, it's, you know, sometimes the direction is like, you see great people tweet about stuff or funny stuff or whatever, and you just find your kindred spirits. But honestly, I was like that, like, I, I, I was trying to go back and find them all in preparation for the show, but I, I thought I would just go down like too dark a rabbit hole and get us too, too um, uh, far afield. Um, but could you like, just tell the people listening, I guess, what, what was that recent iteration? Cause I know you and I've talked a little bit about it off air and, and could you tell Katie and I, for the people listening, like what was that thing that happened recently that you stumbled back into Michael Mann's work and you stumbled into heat. And I know you've recently referenced collateral in a, um, a really great piece about wrath of man, but could you tell us a little bit about like what like made you immerse yourself in his work again? I, I swear I'm not just saying this, but part of it's the community that exists around Michael Mann. And part of it is one heat minute. Part of it is seeing all of the passion that Michael Mann continues to inspire in people who I respect and whose writing and work I respect. Uh, and there's, there's something that feels very timeless about Michael Mann's films, about his compositions, about the way that he treats masculinity and the way that he uses some of the best uh, most iconic actors of our times there's just so much in his work that people love to pour over and continue to go back to um and i'm certainly you know do not consider myself above that do not consider myself exempt from that i think that the spell that he casts is absolutely one that is very effective on the overwhelming thing that you do is like when you've got the chess pieces of like Hollywood stars is there was this time where it was like that final rung on the ladder for a lot of these huge actors is like, I do, I've got to do the Michael Mann film. Like if I don't have right. the Michael Mann film in my resume, I was just thinking about, um, cause you, you know, we were just talking off air that you're, you're now based in Chicago, but I'm just thinking of like, now it's the, the Tom Cruises and the the Will Smiths of the world and like Johnny Depp's and Christian Bale's and even Channing Tatum getting shot in the opening seconds of Public Enemies. You know, everyone <laughs> needs their, their, their um, and, and I had to throw that reference out there because we've all been transfixed by the Zoe Kravitz right in the back of Channing Tatum's bike this week. Um, oh, but, but so it's, transfixed. It's, it's yeah. so good, but it's like, excuse me, it's like, that's the thing. It's like, if you get to do the Michael Mann movie and even take the piss out of it in the trip to Italy, which I, I love those movies too. Um, but like that whole thing of like, oh, this is a, a rite of passage somewhat to to, to put yourself under those slavish Michael Mann obsessive conditions, you know, to to as a career goal. Mm. Has Denzel and, ever done a Michael Mann movie? No, that's a, you know, that's, 
That's one. He should do one. He should do one. He should consider one. (laughs) That's an oversight, Denzel. No, but he was like him and Tony Scott. It was like yeah, they were they were locked locked in. They were so in lockstep. Yeah, and even when he made Safe House, and you're like, Mm -hmm. is this Tony Scott? And you're like, no. Wow. (laughs) This guy. He can can just do that. He can just do that now. He can just kind of bring that uh, bring that to the screen. I feel like Denzel. Yeah, uh, th- this this is a tiny tangent, but Katie, you and I were talking about that summer when I was at Entertainment Weekly, uh, where we had intersected at a screening, and the best interview I did by far was with Denzel for the Equalizer, oh, uh, the nice. Equalizer for the Equalizer two. Actually, I should correct myself, um, but it was just fantastic because I was trying to very foolishly, in hindsight, get some insight into his acting method from him during this interview and his response he was just almost surprised that I was asking he's like uh the character is Denzel I am Denzel okay Uh, (laughs) all I need to do is be Denzel and it's just like I think that that's truly that's true I would love to like meet someone who just intersects with him in his personal life just to, to know whether or not that ever does cease to be the way that he is. But I felt like I was talking to the equalizer, just that whole <laughs> interview. And, and so it's especially true, like for, for what you're saying, I think that that, that masculinity is very mannish in, in a way that I'm surprised that they haven't intersected. And I wonder if maybe they will oh, at some point. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm putting cases on all you bitches. Huh? You think you can do this shit? Yay! You think you can do this to me? You motherfuckers will be playing basketball in Pelican Bay when I get finished with you. Shoe program, nigga. 23-hour lockdown. I'm the man up in this piece. You'll never see the light of day. Who the fuck you think you fucking with? I'm the police. I run shit here. You just live here. Yeah, that's right. You better walk away. Go and walk away, because I'm going to burn this motherfucker down. King Kong ain't got shit on me. I don't want to miss an opportunity. They need to do it right now. I mean, Katie's in L.A., <laughs> so sort it out, Katie. Get it, get it, get it going. Right. Produced yeah, I by mean, Katie Walsh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, so simple. Um, just I'll just send a few emails. We're going to get it I'm going. I'm sure they'll read them. I'm sure they'll read them. <laughs> right. Um, but, yeah, I think there is something – man i mean while we're writing like denzel michael mann fanfic like there's mm-hmm. um you know i always say that like michael mann films are like man does job good um, because i think <laughs> that he that's important to him and it's important to michael mann to do his job good so it's like the double entendre man and man um but uh and I also think that that's a certain quality in Denzel films as well. And in, in his characters, even in something like Training Day, like he's just like an expert. He's a professional. He's executing well. The equalizer, obviously, he's, you know, doing what he has to do. So I think there's like a very. Um, and let's not forget the Pelican Brief, where he plays an amazing, an amazing journalist. And also when he runs and he's wearing short shorts, his pins have never looked better. Let's just put all of that <laughs> right out on Front Street. Um, and yeah, no, particularly I love him as a, as a professional in, in those other underrated yeah. movies. Like, and again, like Philadelphia, come on. Like he's just, yeah. he's, he's always very good. 
Yeah, so maybe um, Michael Mann can fill the Tony Scott void in Denzel's life. Yeah, look, let's <laughs> hope so. God damn it! But um, I think, I think you put there's you put something out there about his work too. Is you wonder like with the whole Denzel thing, and I promise I'll bring this tangent back around. It's like one of the things no, that please. Will Smith said about doing Ali, and he also did in the Pursuit of Happiness. He's like both directors and he talks specifically about Ali is like Michael Mann didn't let me be Will Smith. Every time I tried to, uh, tried to reflexively respond to something and some of my natural Will Smith persona came out, man would call cut. Wow. That's Will Smith. Hmm. I don't want to see Will Smith. I'm, I'm paying Ali, you know? <laughs> and so I wonder we like to think about in the context of Miami Vice 2006 <laughs> that Jamie Foxx is really feeling himself in this movie. And it might actually be the, the most Jamie Foxx, like outward Jamie Foxx flexing, you know, swaggery movie role that's out there. The one that he least disappears into. And I would say yeah. the same thing for Farrell, right? Like, so <laughs> it's actually really odd. Like, obviously they go through the same immersion tactics, the Miami Vice might actually be an outlier in that instance because these are, and maybe Manhunter's the other one because like William Peterson is just so iconic and has so yeah. much of William Peterson in Will Graham that it's like that people were craving that for many decades later. But it's like, maybe this is the most, the actual, I want the actor and persona of these actors so much more yeah. than anything else. And like even Barry Shabaka Hanley, he pops in as their boss, like cool off. Like he wants... <laughs> cool as shit Barry Shabaka Hanley he doesn't want anyone else for those roles so yeah maybe that's the weird connection about why Miami Vice made us start thinking about Denzel it does feel like the the film that has the most that taps into all of those personas the yes. most like no one's really disappearing even the even the Dominic Lombardozzi's and the um Justin throws and even the you know like no one's really disappearing into these roles it's all kind of reliant but it's like kind of coasting on a lot of like persona and very and like you said like cool like mm. Jamie Foxx is super cool he's got to have swagger as tubs like Barry Shabaka Henley like all of these people are kind of bringing and and we've said so many times on the show like <laughs> Crockett and Farrell it's like there's a very thin line between what's going on with these two guys and so that's why his performance feels so like immediate and mm. sort of pungent mm. If you will, I'm like, I'm like, how many different adjectives can I use for? for We're going to uh, use them all. And I love all every new one. I'm just saying, I love every new one. Um, but you wrote about this, Isaac, actually in the collateral bit, because that's one criticism. So, you know, uh, another tangent just to come back around. There was a great list that Quentin Tarantino did. I think it was in the, around the year 2000 or just after is like the, there was like the 10 films or something like that, that he wished he'd made like that that people had brought out and one of them was like Emma Shyamalan's um, uh, Unbreakable one of them was Michael Mann's The Insider um, and then I remember him talking about the the distance between say The Insider and Ali slash Collateral because like if you look at Tom Cruise I don't know if we like to imagine what Tom Cruise is really like like you don't really know like some people say he's he's the guy from Magnolia. And I think we all want to believe that to a certain extent. Some people are like, he is maybe a sociopath like Vincent in Collateral. But I, I think it's like that, that is actually like a little pivot point in his career because like Ali, Will Smith is 
for me is unrecognizable in that movie. Like it's not like any other thing I've ever seen Will Smith in. I think it's the the most overlooked performance in his entire career for the commitment that he gives. But then you pivot to the Tom Cruise of it all in Collateral, which you know we all collectively love, and it's like there's a little bit more Cruise in that. There's more Cruise in that, I think, right? Than a traditional man character. Whereas Jamie Foxx is the guy who's like completely buttoned down and is repressing all of his yeah. natural everything in that movie. Yeah, I think that's a really a good shout. I feel like Tom Cruise is maybe incapable of stripping away that kind of Cruisian artifice that he has. Yeah. He has this this charisma and it's like, you know, it, it's the thing with his smile. Like he's gonna look exactly the same as a red, on the red carpet as smiling like that as he will when he's killing you slowly in like an alleyway. <laughs> like he has that, he has that kind of, it, that inability to drop that high wattage ability. And I, I wonder, with him because he is so committed to kind of the cult of Cruise, whether that was something that there was conflict during the making of Collateral with. Um, because I, I think it is a very true element of Michael Mann's interest is that he just doesn't care about the artifice of the movie star. He doesn't care about the, the branding of how someone had previously carried themselves. I think what he wants is to see what the actor does when that's kind of pulled away from them and who they actually are, which I think plays into this whole this whole area of Michael Mann, just the that Katie was talking about earlier as well, this interest in these archetypal forms of masculinity. I think that the way he sometimes gets the actors to do that is by pulling the rug out from under them and saying, everything that you've done with, with this image of yours, uh, leave that over there. Um, I want what's under that. Yes. Uh, and what and whatever they bring to the table then informs who the character is, which is why I think Tom Cruise is a weird one, just because I don't know how much of that is actually him. <laughs> um, <laughs> how are how how the layers have peeled back to reveal who Tom Cruise really is, potentially? It's just like a smaller, slightly smaller <laughs> Tom Cruise, like in a Tom Cruise suit. Yeah. A slightly smaller Tom Cruise. I mean, that is pretty remarkable. He's a very he's, small man. He's very small. It's, he's <laughs> he's not a, a small. It's, I've I've seen him. He's a small man, and I, that's okay. I I like. I think, I think they're I think that's like. Brave. I think they're yeah. two lunatics in the pod. Like you know, two peas in a pod. They're just Michael Mann and Tom Cruise trying to show who's the most committed person on a movie yes. set together. Mm. Would have been my favorite thing in the world because like it just would have been. Not only would it have been crazy, but it would have been like infectious. One of the things that attracted me to the whole project was the compression of time. One night, 6.04 p.m. to 4.20 a.m. Everything's changing. What's going? What's my work? This is a collision of two lives. All you have been and who you think you might be all collapsed in the events of one night. The movie starts with Vincent arriving to LA. Here he is, this guy who just looks perfect. Silver Fox coming in the airport. Enjoy LA. More serious deep current that's there within Tom Cruise is something I wanted to see, and uh, particularly as it emerges through the exterior and we rapidly take in the, the rougher aspects of this character. Michael, he came up with the whole design of the character, the hair, the beard, 
the suit, his eye is incredible. And it's always about his movie, the story, uh, the characters. Since when was any of this negotiable? I imagine in a lesser, like completely different tangential way, it would have been like De Niro on Heat. You know, like he would have committed, like everyone would have been walking on eggshells. Like there's those great Don Rickles stories where he was in Casino, which is shooting at the same time as Heat. And everyone was like in hushed tones or don't interrupt De Niro. Like he's got his process, don't do that. And Don Rickles, the great comedian, like the first scene he does with De Niro, De Niro talks to him and he goes, Marty, this guy's spitting all over me. I can't, I can't, I can't deal with this. Right. It's like, and he's like, and he just cracked him up in the middle of the scene. And then for then he, they were just the greatest of friends. But it's like, I feel like that in the heat of it, De Niro would have been like the guy. And then Kilmer's lifting up his, you know, he's, he's up. Treo is such a new actor. Obviously Sizemore is like, holy shit, I'm with Kilmer and De Niro. And so everyone would have had this like whole amped thing in isolation of that movie. And I, yeah. and I just feel like, on a flip side, I would have loved to see like infectious, enthusiastic crews and man, like, yes, I'm going to dress as a courier and <laughs> pretend to kill people with post-it notes. You know, like that shit is crazy. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel like it would have been such a blast to, to see it actually happen. From what I know about Tom Cruise and like, this is just, it could be totally apocryphal. It could be just like rumor and legend. He like for I've heard he's really nice mm. and like he's probably one of the people who like if he like shines his you know wattage on you then oh. then you feel like you're like in basking in the sun of course um, and you know that can go both ways because like that can be something that like a sociopath does but I also <laughs> think he's like deeply involved like I think he is like a student of filmmaking mm -hmm. and he like probably knows more about filmmaking than like any like you know, then tons of directors because he's just like very involved in the process. And, you know, obviously he has his collaborators now and he's just like not necessarily gonna like go out of his way to work with like some up and comer or something. But it's like, I can imagine him being willing to like, as Isaac said, like go underneath or like drop some facade or persona or whatever in order just for Michael Mann or someone of that caliber yeah. and just be like, I want to dig in on this like process and this, like, you're obviously a genius and like, I'm going to work on this with you. Yeah. Um, instead of just like, I mean, I think Christopher McQuarrie is great, but it's like obvious that they have just like, they're just like doing their thing now. And they're, it's not like he's pushing him necessarily. I just um, think they've got a great rapport. Like there's nothing yeah. like rapport, like no offense to, I, I mean, I hope people hear this listening is like, that's why we work together, Katie. <laughs> You know, and that's yeah, why we exactly. get people like Isaac to join yeah. us. It's because it's like, oh, this is good. Like the yeah. energy is good. And I feel like if you're a cruise and you're nearly 60 and you know that you're going to be driving a motorcycle off of a cliff and then jumping onto right. a whatever, you know, jumping onto <laughs> a helicopter or some insane right. thing. It's like, I just want to work with people who know what I'm going for. Right. Know the kind of movies I'm going to make and have a shorthand. And what's been really fun, a couple of the, they've released a couple of little videos, like teasers for, uh, mission seven where those two guys are chatting about stuff like talking about his career and talking about the missions and stuff and they literally a couple of times like we do on this show sometimes we finish each other's sentences right, you know? right like right. and i'm like yeah that's why they worked like i don't yeah. need to know anything else all i know is that tom can half say a sentence and chris goes oh da, 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 and yeah. that's it like they get it and right so, and he can do that because he's tom cruise and he's just <laughs> yeah. like i'm just cruising i'm just cruising <laughs> so right 
So if you you're wouldn't talking... go into you wouldn't go into space with just any director. I feel like yeah. I, isn't that the currently the thing that they're working on? They want to to make a SpaceX thriller, um, which I, I mean, God love them, you know, right? It's like <laughs> I'm like, that sounds right. Of course, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> that's, that, that's the good energy to the Elon Musk bad energy because at least we're getting at least we're getting something out of it. At least right. there's uh, at least there's like something that they're giving back into the world, even if it's. Uh, well, I actually have no idea what they're going to come up with, with that. I, I feel like Tom Cruise will be the first uh, person, you know, not even first actor, first person to be outside of the spaceship, just as it's as it's going. Yeah, up. he'll he'll somehow open a, <laughs> open a hatch and hang onto the edge and ride it down like in Doctor Strange Love. Uh, oh yeah, it's, it's, it's just, yeah. Doctor, he's just Woo! riding riding a rocket down to the down to the. Uh, I mean, I believe it. I believe I'm like anything he does. I'm like, yeah, okay. But he's gonna do it like i I'm totally like, believe that he's gonna do it and he just like eats seeds and like is never yeah. aging <laughs> look whatever he's, whatever he's doing and this is the same fascination i think some of us who are like action cinema geeks it's like when you used to watch jackie chan like the thing the currency even like i feel like it was like pre-internet but with my friends it was like the new jackie chan movies out on vhs he jumps between buildings and we were just like <laughs> what it's like yeah he jumps like it's him and you're like no way and you're like so you watch rumble in the bronx and it is he jumps through bill and so there was always those great like and, and and i feel like jackie chan was like one of those first guys as a actor stuntman who would put all of his stunt bloopers at the end of the movie oh yeah i love that yes. i love those right on vhs <laughs> like they would be the, the worn police out story of, oh, the, blo the bloopers on police story are fantastic just out of yeah. control right so i feel like if I love a movie like that will get me constantly going to a big screen all the time, much more than a special effect. The, the special effect is that someone allowed Tom Cruise to fly the helicopter. You know what I mean? Like that's someone in right. New Zealand, Jacinta Ardern, the prime minister is like signing a form that says Tom Cruise can fly a helicopter here. And if right. he dies, he dies, you know, she's like, know. Drago from, from, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. So yeah, big, big love for that. Sorry. We have to steer this back to Miami. Vice. I know back to Miami. But so I've had so much, I've had too much fun talking about everything. <laughs> I, I so could far. talk about Tom Cruise forever. <laughs> it's bad, but I'm curious, Isaac, like when did you, like, where does Miami Vice like fit into your manography? Like when did you kind of hook into it? And like, was that a process or was it immediate? Like, tell us the story. So the first time that I saw Miami Vice, uh, it, I must have been a teenager and I watched it at a friend's house because it looked incredibly cool. Just the poster for it, the the whole kind of the thing of Jamie Foxx being in it. I, I, this was like probably before I even knew directors as much. I, I kind of came into writing about film later in my teenage years. And I think I saw this one fairly early and remember just thinking it was just very kind of icy and cold in a way that I wasn't anticipating at all. I was thinking it was going to be, um, you know, it's Miami Vice. I was thinking it was going to be like this scorching kind of... Um, 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Fast bantering crime thriller and it just was not that in a, in a way that I really responded to at the time but it took me a really long time to circle back around to Miami Vice and I really just got around to it in preparation for this podcast uh, it's not one of the films that I would consider to be you know the, the Michael Mann movies that have my heart which are more like Manhunter and of course Heat uh, I, I think that you know, but re-watching Miami Vice, I just have so much more appreciation for it now than I, than I did back then. Just the way that it fits into this larger filmography and this larger set of interests of, of his that I just was clueless about when I first saw it. But I'm almost glad that I saw it at that stage as well, because I got to see how it played to someone who's completely not in the sphere and not in the, the kind of the film criticism orbit, which... <laughs> can feel a little bit all-consuming uh, some days just to, to kind of be on Twitter and realize like, oh, all of these people are, you know, kind of my people in terms of like the movies that they're watching and how obsessed that they are with them. Uh, but, you know, sometimes you, you kind of miss something, I think, with that. You miss kind of how it plays to like a, a mainstream audience. And seeing Miami Vice with a friend, um, which, you know, I, I remember more the emotions of it than the specifics of the time that we were watching it. But I just remember being kind of like just struck by it and just kind of watching it and not really knowing why the movie was playing like that or why it <laughs> felt like that. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm just rambling a little bit, but I, I did really, um, I think, respond to the aesthetic of it in a way where I think it was probably one of these early films where I was like, oh, aesthetic can be this. It can be really something that um, heightens and in some ways 
undercuts or contradicts what you thought the film was going to be going in based on plot story. Yeah, that's fascinating. I love the idea of like you and your friend being like, the vibes are bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, why do they seem so upset? Like, this is supposed to be like, I thought this was going to be. Yeah, you know, it's just interesting, to see, like thinking about like you coming into. I mean, I, I, I always love thinking about the movies that kind of unlock something in like your teenage cinephile brain. And like, for me, that was Carrie. Um, and but it's very influential. And um, and I think yeah, for sure. Miami Vice would be an interesting one to kind of like wrap your head around. It's also nice to get yeah. in cold. I loved hearing what you talked about with your friend. Like you're cold. You're, so you have, even if you see the poster, you come in with like just even the slightest like seasoning of expectations of what it's going to be. And with Miami Vice, obviously it's a TV property, the familiarity, the pop culture, lexicon, it's there, whatever. You go into the movie. But I love, I also love those experiences. And when you were just talking, I was remembering an experience at the Sydney Film Festival where I saw Only God Forgives. And oh, yeah. um, and I remember uh, everyone in that audience, it was a packed audience. And at the Sydney Film Festival, it was, I think it was playing in competition. So there's a lot of like membership holders and there's a lot of oldies who are like, just like they just paid their subscription to see what's performing in competition. So there's that. And then there was all these like frothing film nerds who are just like Nicholas Winding Raffin and Drive and like just the you know everyone was freaking out so we get in there the movie the light goes down and only God forgives spoilers is not anything like Drive at all <laughs> in pacing in mood in tone um you know in neon yes but basically in everything else no and I remember you can feel the energy not only your own energy but you can feel the energy of people not responding yeah. it's a powerful element of that cinematic experience and i just remember me leaning forward with curiosity like oh this might be my shit like it's weird it's not what drive is and i was really responding to the not drive of it all um right. but people were getting up and walking out and then when that happens, <laughs> yeah. there's like a vacuum of a body that leaves your space. And I just remember going, oh, this is good. So that that first tonal experience of Only God Who Gives is unforgettable to me because of how grating it was on some people and how it moved others in the same space. And you could feel it like sure. people getting up, old people rustling plastic bags full of snacks on their way out the door. You know, it's uh, it's, it, I remember that very fondly. So it's cool to hear you talk about it in the context of Miami Vice. It, it's definitely, it, I just had that experience again recently with a net where uh, I was watching a net in a theater and I was like kind of counting the walkouts as they were <laughs> happening. Yeah. Uh, I was like, Oh, okay. So I understand why that, why that was the thing that made you leave. Like, it, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> you're you don't you don't blame them you don't resent no, them you're no. just kind of like you're like no i i get it i get why i'm strange for liking this in the way that i am um it almost and, makes you like more committed to liking it yes. if you do yeah. if it's working for you you're like this is my thing now yeah no completely because you're you've been suddenly asked to interrogate why you're not like that other person and why you've kind of latched onto something and are enjoying it so much. I, I definitely think, and you know, Only God Forgives, I remember I was also a bit flummoxed by when I first saw it. I really, I liked it, but I was very confused because Drive was something I'd seen and was quite a formative mm. uh, kind of movie for me as, in the same kind of way as Miami Vice, honestly, in terms of aesthetics. 
uh, being something that were, was very, they, they were very palpable. They were very much driving the story as much as any script or performance in the film, just the whole feeling and ambiance of it um, was, was itself so present and so active in a way. There's a fun tonal shift between those both those movies. I think you're so spot on that they're both such aesthetic movies, um, which is that Miami Vice's pace in the editing and the cutting and the movement of the whole movie is mm. propulsive. So it is maintaining a tone, but it's like, we, you know, we, we talked about it on a recent episode with Anna Swanson about the how essential movement is in Miami Vice. And I feel yes. like in Drive, for all of its neon and wonderful, and it's called Drive, like the movie's called Drive, it is so still. Yeah. It is so stilly composed. So you do get to dial into that mood um, really well because it's just a completely different approach to that what you would consider like it's going to be that ferocity like if you look at walter hills the driver for example that has that 70s fast pace you know cutting and things are moving quickly and you're trying to show the movement and the ferocity of the cars moving and it feels like in drive everything is about taking that away like even a scene where someone gets murdered with a hammer is done with like balletic slow motion grace you know like that's, <laughs> yeah. that's kind of what it is whereas you know you look at an old boy hammer scene for example different right like different oh, not yeah. the josh brolin one sorry spike love you but no um and, <laughs> and uh yeah like that yeah. but whereas vice has got that different thing so i think also it is about it's that weird kind of thing that the stillness sometimes imprints on you a bit more because you're forced to relish in it whereas with vice the movement kind of tricks you sometimes to move, like it, it stops being about a mood piece. But I feel like the more I watch it, the more you're like, no, the movement is intrinsic to that. Like what it was going for is movement and mood versus just mood. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I always, I always say it's like flow with yes, man. Yes. It, it, it is, <laughs> it is this, this real thing. I mean, just because we were comparing Refn and, and man, I feel like Refn has this kind of slavish, devotion to treating his actors almost like statues in a mm. way where they're they're very much like the camera is uh tracking over them and uh luxuriating in in the mood and kind of steeping whereas i think man uh is more interested in the interior lives of these men's men these like kind of archetypal figures and the world that they're moving through is it's their world is, is the thing it's like you know you get so much more than just this focus on some paragon of masculinity because you get to kind of reason that out to a world that is run controlled and populated by people like this um, and you get to see I, I think so much of their emotional lives and and kind of the lack thereof in certain ways in Miami Vice you get to see that projected out to the entirety of Miami and to the entirety of the setting, um, which is why I think it's such a, a kind of a movie about doomed romance in a way. And, and the fact that that is something that cannot exist for the people populating this world, because it, it really is um, all consuming for them. I think that the motion is so necessary to mapping the territory for Miami Vice. You, you just, you have to kind of see so much more in order to get the sense of just how um, how much these people belong to their surroundings, which is something that I think is a big man signature that, that you both have talked about. 
Yeah, there's like a propulsiveness to Miami Vice in a way that almost like it almost feels like every like Sonny like doesn't have a choice. Mm. Like he just has to go with the momentum of like what has been set in motion. And so even if he was to run away to Cuba and just stay there, it's like, can he even do that? Or or does he have to just keep going and going? And like, sometimes I think with Refn, especially in drive, it's like, it's the choices that people make, right? So he's like giving them a lot of room to be like, what is he gonna do? Whereas I think sometimes in man in man's work, it's like, everything's inevitable. Like mm. it just is happening to these people. I don't know. I'm just sort of working this out like at the moment, but I don't know if you guys agree with that or not. Like the I question th- of choice and propulsiveness and momentum. I think, yeah. I, I, I think you're, I think what Isaac said and what you said is such a spot on thing about man. It is one of his great tricks is that that sense of doomed romance. I think Miami Vice, by the way, might be the great doomed romance might be the greatest title for what we're doing here of like (laughs) just revisiting this thing because it is doom like it is a doomed romance it's like the best breakup cd you've ever listened to um (laughs) except we watch it as a movie and we get to talk about it but i think that is like one of you know if, if i had to talk about like quintessential scenes in michael mann movies uh that reflect that theme of doom probably or synthesize it the best is there's a moment in First, I'll talk about The Insider, where Jeffrey Wigand, played by Russell Crowe, is standing next to the water and he's about to go and testify in court with the great Bruce McGill, you know. Mr. Motley, we have rights here. Oh, you got rights. And lefts. Ups and downs and middles. So what? You don't get to instruct anything around here. This is not North Carolina, not South Carolina, nor Kentucky. This is the sovereign state of Mississippi's proceeding. Wipe that smirk off your face! Dr. Wagon's deposition will be part of this record. And I'm going to take my witness's testimony, whether the hell you like it or not! Um, my, one of my favorite scenes in any Michael Mann movie, but there's a scene that happens before it. And it's like, it's, it, it, it's a, it's a scene of inhaling and holding your breath. And Lowell Bergman, played by Pacino, walks up to Jeffrey. He's standing by a lake and you know that Lowell is going to go ahead with uh, uh, that, that Lowell wants Jeffrey to go ahead with it, but you don't, you're not a hundred percent sure whether Jeffrey is going to commit to doing what he's about to do. But I think the doom of it all is like in the movie, you're or sorry, at least you're led to believe that, but the more that you watch it, you know, that Jeffrey is going to do it this way. You know, he's going to do it. And you know that the consequences, which he's already had reflected in like the paranoia at the golf course scene and things like that, you know, that he knows that there are ramifications for what he's about to do. And yet he's going to do it. Yeah. And in the same, in the same vein is that, you know, shockingly the most sought after scene for people to talk about in heat in one heat minute was the tunnel scene with Neil and Edie in the car. Like I never anticipated this. Um, That's been interesting. uh, So many people wanted to talk about that scene. And, you know, the great Matt Zolazites obviously did and he talked about tunnel vision and literally myopia. Like, come on, this is not unobvious shit, but you know what? Yeah. I love obvious shit. Like, let's go, let's get metaphorical, <laughs> yeah, 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 baby. Yeah, like, yeah. come on. Um, and in, if you love Michael Mann, like it's kind of, it kind of feeds into that, but it's like that moment 
you know, like I actually reinterrogate that moment so much from Nate's perspective, which is John Voigt when he's talking to him on the phone and he tells him because the thing you have to know about Neil, if you know Neil, even for one second in this movie, Neil's going to use that information. If you wanted to, when he says you're home free, that's such a lie. It's such right, a lie yeah. to the, to the lore of this movie, because you know that when you give him that information, he's going to use it. And I think that is the stuff I love about Michael Mendes because they, yeah, 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 yeah. they make yeah. you feel in the moment, like there is a possibility that they're not going to go ahead with it, but he has modulated the tension so well as a, in the character development and the storytelling that you just go, please don't but you know, they're going to like, you yeah. are certain, but your emotional, uh, the emotional sort of spectrum says, please don't like, just go to Fiji with Edie. Like it's not bad. <laughs> she's a nice yeah. chick, Amy Brenneman. She's got really beautiful hair. Like, come on, go, <laughs> you know, she's a graphic designer. I know that she lives in an apartment she could never afford, but we're, you know, that's fine. And maybe her that's grandmother a, a, gave it to her or something. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's like a, an even better sign that she can afford the apartment somehow. I yes. mean, like learn what <laughs> that's about, like stay with it. Yeah. Uh, like, she's got a trust fund. <laughs> like, I want to I know what bank she robbed to get that apartment. Like there's stories to tell. He um, can learn from her. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. But, but I, I, I think that that's, that's the Miami vice of it all, right? Because yeah. you talk about the momentum and I think, you know, we've all probably had friends or had moments in our own lives. And I think the folks listening can relate to this where you're like, you're working too hard at a job or you're in a bad relationship and you know that like, the momentum that you're on is only drastically accelerating towards a brick wall. And you're like, yeah, this is fine. Like, this is totally fine. <laughs> it's, it's all going to work out. I'm sure that me going like 60 Ks or, you know, 80 miles an hour faster than what I need to be going in this point is going to just work out just fine. That's what Miami Vice is to me is that like that Sonny's instincts, the same instincts that make him good. Um, also accelerate the possibility that it's just going to completely go off the rails. And so I think that's the whole energy of this movie. It's like, it's, it's that little sentiment that's happened in micro levels in these huge storytelling moments and those other things. And it's like two hours of it, of that, right. of like, oh shit. Right. Like, what right. are they going right. to do? And, and you still, you keep being like, maybe he'll make a different choice. Yeah. And, and then time. like, and then he obviously doesn't. It's like you, it's like two things are true at the same time, which is that, you want him to make the right choice, but you also know what he's going to do. So yeah. it's just like this constant tension between that, like kind of what you were saying about, you know, this is going to be used, you know, you know, he's lying, you know, he's, he's going to use that information. It's like, that's sort of the, the driving doom feeling that, that kind of is very addictive about a lot of these films. And I was just thinking that when you were like saying, this is fine. Like, I was just thinking of that meme of the little dog in the <laughs> yes, house the of dog. vampire. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's that meme. It's that meme, but it's like blue scale. You know, that's yeah. like uh, yeah. that's someone. <laughs> can someone please yeah. get Colin Farrell? Yes, replace it, the dog with Colin Farrell and make the fire blue, and you'll make right. Isaac, Katie, and I very happy. We'll use it all the time. We probably <laughs> we'll it's credit fine. you. It's fine. We'll credit. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's that's such a driving emotion of those films. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, they often strike me as these like Greek tragedies in mm. a way, like a lot totally. of Michael Mann's films have this kind of sense of import to them. 
I feel like this, this is one reason that like the characters like there's this great just like kind of constant Michael Mann shot of men with their heads down uh like looking out past windows at all of these cars that are going from one destination to another and they seem very similarly motor driven in this way where they they aren't really in control of where they're going they've been set on a certain path and that that outcome will come um, yeah. and, and they're so committed to it. And, and it's something that I find so interesting in the performances too, because so many of his movies deal with these noir hallmarks of these haunted kind of shells of men. Uh, it's like the only thing that they know how to do is this thing that they're biologically trained to do. And that's the kind of like the almost rep, like the reptilian side of the characters in his movies where they, they truly just don't see another way, even with you know, all of the, these beautiful women, all of the, like, the Brennemans of the films who are constantly providing this alternative that could be viable so yeah. long as they can let go of the thing that they had previously been holding, which they can't do. I mean, that's the whole reason I think that their heads are always looking down. They're always working, you know, it, yeah. like there's just this, um, this constant sense that they don't know another way that feels very much like man engaging with the archetypes of the characters that he's portraying where you know they are they're bound by who they are who they've been made to be uh in a way that's bigger than the story or the actor um it's um and that's why i kind of say greek tragedy just because it does feel very mythic in that way yeah Totally. I, I think we just like deeply psychoanalyzed Michael Mann. <laughs> <laughs> A I'm little like, bit. Just my heart. this. That's <laughs> my heart. Um, but yeah, it's almost like one of those another, sorry to talk about memes so much, but you know, like when someone's like, <laughs> what's not Shakespeare, but feels like Shakespeare. It's like heat. Yeah. That feels like Shakespeare to me, you know, yeah. just, or like, or some epic poem or something, but it, he is working with these archetypes of of masculinity and relationships and and it all feels very uh adult and real which i also appreciate i'm like i was just thinking i'm like i wonder if he could do a romance but he does romance all the yeah. time it's called lost so, in the yeah. mohicans it's called right Lost. exactly oh i love mohicans <laughs> i haven't seen it in so long i need to rewatch. that's it. another one that i just like even yeah. even black hat i would say has you know that kind of romantic hero energy to it through chris hemsworth and through this um this kind of sense that he is fighting to to prevail in this world that he absolutely has no shot in because it's so mad. It, once man discovers the internet, it's over for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's like, talk about like the biggest canvas that he could find to do this kind of story on. You've got, you know, and it becomes like a more romantic, like quixotic quest for the characters to try to figure out whether they can avoid being who they've been made to be just against any like against Miami and Miami Vice just because we're talking about that so much it, yeah it feels like the characters have just really one choice which is whether they fight or embrace this path that they're on and some of them you get the sense really part of it is that they just enjoy it too much I think that man is pretty damning about that side of masculinity yeah. that we're addicted to these stories of um uh, these stories of men who are, you know, just constantly men at work, constantly um, on the wrong side of the law and constantly just doing what they're going to do. I think that there's an addiction and there's a compulsion to that, that, and we were talking about Tom Cruise and Collateral, he displays it more than really anyone, just this kind of 
glee in what he's doing in a way. Oh yeah, that dude loves his job. Oh yeah, he, does. <laughs> he loves it. He will make you yeah. go and get him a new briefcase, right? He will make you go and get him a new laptop and a new and a new USB stick if you yeah. screw this up. Yeah, uh, or Pacino, or like Pacino in Heat too, like the way he's like, you know, he's almost like dancing through that movie in parts because he loves what he's doing so much. Um, there's and and even Lowell Bergman, like Lowell Bergman yeah. is a fascinating essay of this kind of character for me um, with Pacino because it is. It is doing exactly what I think us as contemporary 2021 kind of journalists, you two more than me, tangents uh, for me. Um, but it's like dancing through what is corporate interests, like navigating the corporate world and the corporate interests of the wider company, but still maintaining your like ferocious creative integrity, which is what you guys do. And he kind of does that. But he is so compelled to the fact that he's insulted by the machine that he's in that he can't be in the machine anymore. You know, that's what's right. so fascinating mm-hmm. thing about Lowell Bergman because he's like, he wins via manipulation and they want to keep him. And he's like, it's mm-hmm. not enough. It's not enough to right. win because I don't even want to play this game. Um, yeah. But uh, I think, look, I think we're right at a great point because you guys have said that we're psychoanalyzing man and I just don't want to step into the psychoanalyzing me about why I'm obsessed with these movies. So in the spirit That's part of- two. <laughs> in the spirit Blake, of- I have some notes that and I've been Katie taking this entire be, time. Katie is going to be muted before this conversation is over. Um, Wait, what? Isaac, I think like the, the next part of this episode, we should all be lying down on, on like um, couches, <laughs> on couches just next to each other and yeah. talking up into the air. I can't wait. I can't wait for that episode live coming from you live in LA in 2022, um, yeah. coming to a stage screening near you. Isaac, thank you so much for being a part of the show. I've had a really great, um, beautifully tangential chat with you about Miami nice and Katie and I always have a blast talking, but this has been a real treat. Cause I think we, um, despite talking about Denzel and Tom Cruise right up top, um, I think we really touched on, you know, some of that Greek tragedy element and the doom element, which I think is such, is so, so compelling and so essential. And it's been awesome to sort of unpack it with you. So thank you so much for being a part of the show. Thank you so much for having me. This has been, this has been a privilege. Thank you. Thanks, Isaac. Super fun chat. Always down to psychoanalyze other filmmakers, but not ourselves. I don't want to psychoanalyze <laughs> myself either. Let's, let's stay away from yeah. psychoanalysis yeah. for the host <laughs> and keep hey, the psychoanalysis for our subjects. That's why they call it film projection, right? <laughs> yeah. exactly. Indeed. Hi, this is Blake Howard, host and producer of One Heat Minute Productions podcast. We dive into the great and underappreciated cinematic works, often one minute or one scene at a time. Our crew of guests are some of the most wonderful filmmakers, writers, authors, and critics ever assembled. Our shows include One Heat Minute, Josie and the Podcats, All the President's Minutes, Increment Vice, and right now, Zodiac Chronicle. Check out oneheatminute.com or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.